Every Canadian city has its own crime. Gangs of Montreal is the first in a national post-media podcast series called The Dark North. Listen to how the two biggest gangs, the Hells Angels and the Rizzuto crime family, ruled the city's underworld starting in the late 1970s. They have left hundreds dead and injured and countless more afraid of crossing them. Hosted by Montreal Gazette crime reporter Paul Cherry, new episodes of The Dark North are released each Monday. Listen to The Dark North on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher today. After four years of a majority government, Justin Trudeau and his team of Liberal MPs return to the House of Commons later this month in a minority situation. So how will they manage it? I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. We talked to the National Post's Ottawa Bureau Chief John Iveson about how Justin Trudeau will approach this minority parliament situation, who he'll lean on for support, and what it could mean for government spending. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher or Spotify, pretty much wherever you get your audio. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. So, John, we're heading into a return to the legislative session of Parliament. Based on what we've seen since the election, do we have a good sense of what the Liberal priorities may be when they return to the House? Not really. I mean, we haven't heard too much from the Prime Minister uh, since the day after the election. He's been surfing into Fino. There is a caucus meeting this afternoon, which we may hear some uh, some talk after that. But, but at the moment, it's it's all speculation. I mean, I think we can guess that they're going to do things that do not require other levels of government or other partners, uh, the sort of low-hanging fruit like the uh, the middle-class tax cut that they promised in the election. You know, those types of things they can do quickly. They give them, it, gives, it allows them to point to something as an achievement. You know, the, the, the more complicated things like pharmacare, for example, I mean, that is going to be a negotiation with the NDP, with the provinces, you know that I think they would they would like to get something done on that, but it's that seems to me is going to be a uh, a long and winding road before we see national pharmacare in this country. So you mentioned the NDP. You know, back under the previous Liberal minority government of Paul Martin in, in between two thousand four and two thousand six, there was a lot of reliance on Jack Layton's NDP. How important is Jagmeet Singh and the NDP to the Trudeau minority government here? Well, I think the difference is that that Leighton was was uh, always open to an election, and in fact, he sparked the election that ended up being uh, held in late two thousand and five, early two thousand and six. It was an NDP motion that uh, that brought down Paul Martin's government. I don't think Jagmeet Singh is in any position to hold or to fight a general election anytime soon. So I think that the Liberals will know that any posturing that he does uh, is is it's pretty much. Uh, crying wolf. So I think that they, they do rely on the NDP, but they also, if legislation is required on the uh, US MCA trade deal, you know, it's likely to get the support of the Conservatives. Mm-hmm. Stephen Harper waved through Paul Martin's 2005 Liberal budget uh, and claimed credit for some of the, the stuff that was in it. So, you know, I don't think anybody's rushing to go back to the polls. There will be Partners, not just Singh, but also the, the Bloc Québécois, uh, if a measure is deemed to be good for Quebec. In past past parliaments, Gilles Deceppe was very practical when it came to uh, minority governments, and uh, and Harper's government quite often survived with the support of the Bloc. How much do you think that Justin Trudeau is going to be relying on the idea that 
Andrew Shear probably doesn't want to go back to the polls right away. Jagmeet Singh, not interested in a, in a second election. Uh, I know that that was one thing that the Harper minority government relied upon was the fact that the Liberal Party was quite weak. Uh, the NDP probably didn't see that they could make any gains. So there was no sense in bringing down Stephen Harper's minority government. And his first one lasted for two and a half years. What do you think the the other parties are thinking about the prospect of another election? Yeah, well, I think exactly that. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if we lasted two years or more this time. Um, you know, for all Andrew Shear's talk about the Conservative Party being united coming out of its caucus meeting uh, on uh, on Wednesday, the fact of the matter is the party is not united and there will be a, a mandatory uh, leadership review at the party's convention in April. And right now, uh, the polling and the anecdotal evidence suggests that uh, he's going to have a very hard time staying on as leader. Mm-hmm. You know, it would seem to me that any conservative or any leader needs somewhere around three quarters of this of, of the membership to be supportive. And at the moment, the polling suggests it's 50-50. So, you know, unless something changes dramatically, Shear's position is precarious. And given that, I mean, I can't imagine that uh, that they're going to want to rush to an election, given the fact they could be in a leadership campaign by late spring. You mentioned earlier the the U.S.-Mexico-Canada free trade agreement is one area where the Liberals could potentially rely on the Conservatives for support. Are there other issues that you potentially see the Conservatives lining up and say, okay, yeah, we'll we'll vote along with that, or or we may abstain just so we the government doesn't get brought down? Yeah, I think more likely abstentions. Um, and quite often they're not broadcast from the from the rooftops. You just find that uh, people have diplomatically caught the flu or just don't appear in the chamber when the vote comes. Yeah, I don't for, I don't see any great consensus among the the two big parties, except perhaps on that trade deal. Uh, by and large, uh, the opposition's job is to oppose, and this opposition will do just that. But I think uh, it is a bit of a game of chicken. And it may be that the most important job in the in the new government for each party is the is the House Leader's Office and the Party Whip, who have to make sure that uh, that the, the numbers are in the chamber on when votes come to pass. Uh, I mean, we have seen in the past governments falling because uh, governments got that wrong. So you know, this is now a logistical exercise for all the parties to make sure that nobody leaves town, everybody's accounted for, and people show up when they're meant to. Are there any other lessons that that we can draw from the the years of Harper minority governments and apply them to this this particular situation? Well, it it does make everybody put a little bit of water in their wine. I mean, it seemed to me that big things don't do not get done. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the if you've got a a, trans, a government that wants to be transformative, like the this liberal government wants to be. They're going to find it very hard to get some of their their big projects through the House of Commons. It seems likely that at the end of this particular parliament, the story will be that not much happened. Now, if you were Stephen Harper, that was not a terrible thing because he didn't uh, he governed incrementally. Mm-hmm. He didn't want it to be uh, transformative. He didn't buy into the vision thing. It was more about uh, making it from day to day and uh, keeping Canada on an even keel. That style of government almost suited him. I mean, he wanted to have a majority, and he eventually did have one, but but it didn't really uh, impinge too badly on his agenda. Whereas I think that the Trudeau government is going to find out that um, a lot of what it wants to do, it's not going to be able to do. 
or there's going to be, be opposition to it and it's going to have to make compromises in a way that that um, Trudeau, for all his talk about everybody getting around the table and singing Kumbaya, he was not very good at forging consensus, you know, that, that which explains why the country is now more divided than it's been in many a year. Yeah. Great unifier was not very good at unifying people and, and he had a vision of how thing, he wanted things to be and he pretty much ramroded through and, and pushed his agenda through, uh, despite the fact that the, you know the, the Senate slowed some of that down. Um, it's going to be a very different way of doing business this time, and I think they're going to get very frustrated. Yeah. One of the things that, that was talked about a, a lot during the election was Justin Trudeau's father's 1972 election. Pierre Trudeau was reduced to a minority government with the NDP holding sway over the Liberal government. How similar is this current situation to 1972? It's pretty similar. I mean, it's a cautionary tale for the NDP, though. The NDP propped up Trudeau's government for two years. And then when an election came along, uh, as is the way of these things, they found that they got all of the blame and none of the credit for for what happened. Yeah, you know, I mean, we've seen this time and again. We saw it with the Liberal Democrats in coalition with the Conservatives in the UK. Um, you know, the Liberal Democrats nearly got wiped out after the the government eventually fell, and in 1974, the NDP lost almost half its seats. I think, from memory, uh, it did not go well for them because they had. It was very hard to come out of a essentially a coalition or an arrangement, uh, an electoral arrangement, and then turn around and point the finger at the the government of the day and say, you know, you got it all wrong. Well, the electorate then turns around and says, well, you helped them. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, Singh is going to have to be very careful about getting too close to this government because when he turns around and says, well, look, we helped get some form of national pharmacare through in, uh, uh, passed in, in Parliament, he will not get the credit for it and he will get the blame for having propped up the Liberal government. So essentially it's a case of the, the NDP risks the electorate saying, well, what did we need you for if the Liberals did it anyway? If you know, there's a progressive party that's ready to form government, they were the government. We don't need you. Right. And I think that that is the, the, the lesson of history. Uh, I mean, you know, history never repeats itself exactly, but I, certainly if I was, I was uh, strategizing for the NDP right now, I would not be getting too cozy with a Liberal government. Yeah. Is there a similar risk for the, the Bloc Québécois in that similar vein that the idea that, you know, they will try and lobby hard for getting more for Quebec, but at the end of the day, voters may see it as being the Liberals getting those things done? I think the, the risk is less for the Bloc. I mean, there is a very distinct perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the voters who voted for the Bloc did so because they felt the NDP was no longer an option for them, and they didn't particularly like the Conservatives either. Those people were never really going to vote for the Liberals, it seems to me. Now, looking back to that that 1972 uh, election of minority government, um, one of the things that's been talked about is how much Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau ramped up spending, partly to satiate the NDP, but also partly, you know, giving into some of his more uh, populist instincts. His son has shown a propensity to spend money as well, and he ran his first election campaign as being more progressive than the NDP under Tom Mulcair. Do you think that we'll see similar spending increases under this government as we did back in 72? 
Yeah, I would worry that 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 will be the hallmark of this parliament, particularly given that they there are signs the economy is slowing down. Mm-hmm. You know, we're already the projection for the next year's deficit is I think twenty seven billion. Um, that's without any particular stimulus spending. Now you could say that a middle class tax cut is stimulus spending um, designed to to get the the economy growing. And that's the way the Liberals will position it. But it's not really. I mean, it's not a targeted measure to fight a a slowdown in the economy. There will be demand for more stimulus if we go into recession. That will ramp up the the spending, I think. I mean, the the government has ditched the idea that we need to balance budgets. And the idea of balanced budgets seems to have passed into into history as 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 a good idea. The one fiscal anchor that the government has stuck to is this idea that uh, debt as a proportion of the economy will continually continue to tick downwards from around about 30% for the federal government. The problem with that is that if the size of the economy starts slowing, then that proportion will change and not and not in a good way. So the, the government is in danger of losing its fiscal anchor if, if the economy slows down. Um, it's, it's then kind of threadbare. It, it, it really is that the emperor with no clothes on at that point because any pretense that there is fiscal discipline in this government just goes out the window. And that's when I think we're in, in really dangerous terrain. And I don't think we're that far from that. Is this the kind of situation where you'll see the conservatives kind of stand up and say, whoa, whoa, whoa hold on a second, we need to rein things in? Or are they worried about uh, a non-confidence vote on something like a budget? Is this where you'd see abstentions come into play, where they may not like some spending uh and they may try and oppose it, but they they'll probably will turn around and kind of hold their noses and and not put their hands up. Well, I think I think if the government was going to blow through its own fiscal anchor, then the Conservatives would have to stand up and say, you know, we oppose that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's almost worth fighting an election over. Because then, you know, I think that people have res- resigned themselves to the fact that we have deficits and they can live with them as long as they think that spending is under control. If there is no fiscal anchor, then it's not under control. It's basically we then have intergenerational debt being passed on to our children and grandchildren at levels that we we can't afford to pay back. I mean, that's that's when it becomes a structural problem. But the Conservatives, as we saw in the last election, when they start talking in these terms, they open themselves up to accusations that they're going to cut. And, you know, clearly at, at a time when the economy needs some stimulus, cutting would not be a great idea either. So... The Conservatives have got a real problem at the moment. I mean, I've, I've even seen some, you know, the former chief of staff of for Stephen Harper, Ian Brody, was suggesting that maybe fiscal Conservatives need to put some water in their wine at the moment, that, that the electorate is not concerned about deficits and, and that uh, maybe the Conservative Party shouldn't be either. Now, one other issue that's kind of reared its ugly head since the election is the idea that in Western Canada, the Liberals were... S- severely reduced in representation, especially their shutout in Alberta. Um, there's been a lot of talk of the idea of a Western separation. There's a possible movement uh, of a Wexit party. Uh, and you have opposition of conservative-leaning premiers, especially Jason Kenney in Alberta. How does that factor into how Justin Trudeau may handle things in a minority parliament? Well, that's his biggest problem, clearly. I mean, you know, when you see a poll that came out the other day, 33% of people in, in Alberta favour independence. I mean, a lot of that might be anger, but that's a very real phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm pretty sure Justin Trudeau doesn't want to go down as the, the last Prime Minister of Canada in its current configuration. So um, 
clearly they need to take action there. It's not clear to me how they do that. I mean, they're pretty committed to uh, to their environmental legislation. I suppose the the pipeline, getting the pipeline built, is one way of saying that we we care and we hear we hear you. But that's almost been priced into the equation. It seems to me. I mean, I think most people in Alberta figure the pipeline has to be built. That's and but that's really not going to bring back the jobs that have been lost. Yeah, you know, he's got problems of representation. How did he? staff uh, the natural resources file who's going to be speaking on behalf of Alberta I expect to see Christa Freeland for example who is from Alberta um, be given some kind of domestic portfolio to use that sort of natural instinct for Alberta but he's got a real problem on his hands and um, you know one that's pretty much of his own making I mean you, you, you drive from Winnipeg to Vancouver you do not hit a liberal writing it is a challenge for him. Do, do you see um, any sense that even someone like Christia Freeland, who even though she's from Alberta, she doesn't represent an Alberta riding? Do you do you see that that being possible to tamp down some of the anger, or is it on you know local governments or, or provincial governments to try and manage that discontent? Well, I think the, lo- the local governments are going to be inflaming it rather than calming it down. I mean, mm-hmm. you guys will have a, a far better view of what's happening in Alberta than I do, but it seems to me that not much of what's being said right now is registering in Ottawa. There's no, there's no specific policies being thought about that would assuage that anger. And, um, you know, I noted the, the comments the other day about the the potential for um, the an Alberta uh, pension plan, mm-hmm. which would, you know, I mean, these are things that would hurt the federal government and, and, and register in central Canada. And I think that those are the types of things that are going to ramp this up. I, I mean, it seems to me this is not going to get better anytime soon. And I think just because instinctively Trudeau and the people around him don't get it. They, in their heart of hearts, they want to see a transition from oil and gas. And that means not solving the problems that are that are causing a lot of the hurt. Well, you know, it's a definitely a touchy subject out in the prairies. And I guess we'll see how it factors in once uh, MPs return to the House later this month. John, thanks for your time. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, John Iveson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.